You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. War machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World This Week Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national and international events to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. .org.au. The program is also repeated on community radio station 3CR at 5am on Friday. I'll be asleep, but you may be awake. You may have trouble sleeping. Who knows? Wonder what anarchism is all about? Simple, simple, simple. You don't need a PhD at some prestigious sandstone university somewhere in Australia. Simple. Anarchos without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people? Inequalities in power and wealth. So what is the anarchist struggle based around? The anarchist struggle is based around sharing wealth and devolving and sharing power. If we overcome these inequalities, then we have the possibility of creating a society which is based on the satisfaction of real, not manufactured human needs. All right, let's move on. Now, what interests me, and I should interest you, but it may not, if all this talk about inflation and housing prices and all this stuff, it's about the cake. It's about how the cake is sliced. I'm sure you've all been to a birthday party and you've had you know, a nice sumptuous cake or a cheap $3 cake from some you know, mega corporation. And usually when you go to a birthday party, the cake is sliced relatively evenly because there's lots of people and you want to make sure everybody gets a piece of the cake. That's unless, you've got, unless you haven't got any friends and then you eat all the cake yourself. But seriously, it's about how the cake is sliced. And, you know, economics is not a science. It, it is not a science. It's a simple concept regarding how to create the cake, what ingredients to put in the cake, and how to share the cake. And currently, we are in a similar position. We have about 25.5 million people living on a continent, which isn't much. When you think the population of the world is nearing 8 billion, and little places, say, like uh, Bangladesh, which I like to make comparisons with, which is about two-thirds the size of Victoria, has got almost two, a population of almost 200 million, one million of them refugees from Myanmar. And obviously the cake there is a bit small. But in Australia, 
the cake is huge. It is huge. Not just in terms of size, but in terms of the ingredients. We have a relatively well-educated population. We have extraordinary amount of natural resources, an extraordinary amount of natural resources. We have a very small population. But unfortunately, we seem to have the ills of the world. And this is what I find extraordinary about living in the uh, land of milk and honey. Not that there's much milk and honey these days, for some. The extraordinary thing is that although we live in a land of plenty, and irrespective of how you look at it, and I know a lot of people say the population is too high, obviously I don't agree with that. I mean, this country could support a lot more people. I'm not talking about gross for gross sake, but if push comes to shove and people need to live somewhere, this country could support a lot more people because of the resources we have. So the dilemma is how the cake is sliced. And it's very simple. When you look at Australian society as a whole, you'll find that 1%, usually people in Social Security benefits, 1% of the cake is owned by 40% of the population. That's correct. Now, I'm sure if there are 100 people at a party and 40 people were given 1% of the cake, there'd be a bit of a kerfuffle. But in uh, 21st century Australia, we seem to uh, accept it. Now, the other thing is that about 1% have access to about 35% of the cake. So once again, at this birthday party for 100 people, one person gets 35% of the cake. 40 people get 1% of the cake and the rest share it. Extraordinary, isn't it? So why is the cake sliced in this way? It's not because we don't have the resources to provide for everybody's basic human needs. It's not as if we don't have the infrastructure to divide the cake. Well, the problem is that we believe in voodoo economics. And my apologies to any voodoo practitioners out there because actually comparing voodoo, comparing capitalist economics to the voodoo, voodoo beliefs and practices I think is a little bit cruel as far as the voodoo practitioners are concerned because capitalist economics is an exceptionally fascinating way of ensuring that inequality continues to exist ad nauseum. 
I know a lot of people, when they look at the Hindu religion, think about the way that those religious beliefs have been developed and created over the last 5,000 years where you have this structural inequality in the religious belief. Well, capitalist economics is very similar in terms of the way it enshrines inequality within its DNA. Because capitalist economics is based on the concept of private investment for private profit. And if you don't make a profit in a capitalist society, you go under, basically. You disappear. And when we talk about things like inflation, inequality, access to resources, the fact is that it's all based on this concept of private investment for private profit. Now, I know there's a lot of people very concerned about the climate emergency, and I understand why they're concerned, and we should be concerned. But it's interesting how capitalism, the private investment for private profit model, has now become the central feature of addressing the climate emergency. And then when you see a lot of social and movements that have uh, burgeoned over the last few decades in this country, ultimately it's all about the dollar, the pink dollar, you know, the green dollar, the purple dollar, and the list goes on and on. So that is our fundamental problem in this society, that if we want to tackle the issues which continue to plague us as a nation and as a people, although we have the resources and the expertise and the intelligence and the education to address these problems while we continue to believe in capitalist economics, private investment for private profit, we will continue to see an escalation of the problems. For example, let's look at inflation, which is the word of the day, the big word. The Reserve Bank keeps will be jacking up interest rates to control inflation. So let's look at inflation. Now, inflation occurs when too many people are chasing an increasingly scarce commodity. It's a little bit like being at an auction, where you've got a lot of people at the auction and the housing, the price of the house escalates beyond its real value as people battle, you know, to win the auction. But with inflation... In order to dampen down inflation in the capitalist economic model, what you need to do is increase interest rates. By increasing interest rates, you decrease demand, you decrease inflation. Well, that's the theory. But the fact is, 
It doesn't work that way. Because when you have blockages in the system in terms of accessing products, which we have now because of the COVID-19 pandemic and the shenanigans, the Russian shenanigans in in, uh, the Ukraine to some degree, what we see is products decrease. Therefore, there's increased competition in the capitalist economy and prices go up. At the same time, we now live in a society where everybody lives beyond their means. That's right. And we live beyond our means because we are able to buy money. So when you take out a loan or when you you know, do after pay, before pay, whatever it's called these days, you are artificially putting yourself in a position where you can buy goods and services with borrowed money, which you're paying for. So obviously you're paying a premium for those goods and services. So while access to money is relatively easy, but paying it back is a little bit harder, that increases inflationary pressures. So obviously in a capitalist economics, inflation is part and parcel of the cycle. Now, the reason we find ourselves in this exceptionally difficult position today is very simple because most Australians, and I'll talk about Australia currently, most Australians have now been incorporated into the private investment for private profit model. Whether we're wage slaves, whether we're on social security benefits, whether we're investors, or that 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, every human, almost every human interaction in the country is based on an exchange of money, whether it's virtual money, real money, credit cards, after pay, before pay, even the most basic necessity like access to water you pay for, access to food you pay for. So when inflation goes up, the people who suffer the most are those with the least, as we saw during the COVID-19 pandemic. It was those that least that paid the biggest price. So if we continue to worship at the foot of Mammon, we will continue to be plagued by increasing inequality because... The big change between the 20th century and the 21st century is that while in the 20th century people were struggling to force the state to change from an instrument of oppression to an instrument which at least attempted to look after the basic needs of its population, all that suffering and blood that was spilt during those struggles during the 20th century has now been reversed. And it hasn't been reversed through war, but it's been reversed through a change in psychology of the population who now, and I'd say at least 95%, who now think 
that the only way forward is to become part of the private investment for private profit, you know, um, shenanigans, believe it or not. So that's the situation we find ourselves in. Look, it's very easy to, you know, to criticise. It's very easy. And what we found during the 21st century and the latter part of the 20th century is as the ideology changed, we saw that deregulation, that's removing rules and laws which protect people and workers from being exploited, were removed and continue to be removed. As privatisation reach extraordinary levels, and we continue to see the extraordinary levels privatisation has reached, especially in the state of Victoria, where almost everything has now been privatised under the Andrews-led Australian Labor Party. Not that the opposition would be any different. So what we've seen is public assets, which in many cases were profitable, which provided basic human services and basic human needs for the population, have now gone to the private hands, and we've all seen the results of 40 years of privatisation. You know, the energy issues we have, the health issues, construction issues, and the issues goes on and on, the housing issues. You can all put at the uh, foot, many of it, at the of the privatisation bandwagon, which has become part and parcel. You know, we had this concept that everything that's publicly owned is bad, Anything that is privately owned is good, so let's get rid of the public assets. Let's get rid of this uh, source of income for the uh, for the estate, and uh, let's put it into the private sector. The more profitable the public enterprise, the greater the clamour to privatise it. Then we have corporatisation, and we see corporatisation. Now, if you want to see corporatisation at its best, you come to Australia. Now, even in the United States, the home of private investment for private, you know, private profit, they have antitrust laws where if a particular corporation has more than a 30% um, monopoly on a particular facet of the economy, then they'll be forced to be disinvest in that area. So there's a little bit of competition. And in many European countries, if you want to set up some corporate you know, brand to compete against small business, you can't because there are laws which have gone through their particular parliamentary systems or their particular state system which protects small business from unfair competition. But in Australia, we don't have any of that. We have three or four large corporations dominate almost every aspect of our existence. And I'm not talking about publicly owned facilities. I'm talking about privately owned facilities, whether it's healthcare, whether it's food distribution, whether it's food sales, whether it's a simple thing like going to a general practice. 40% of general practices now in Australia are privately run, privately owned, and now run by four to five large companies. One particular company has over 2,000 general practices across the country. And when you think there are only 25,000 general practitioners in the country, you begin to understand the pressure they can exert on the system. And when you look at the ancillary health cares, things like radiology, pathology, you'll see three or four large corporations dominating it. You look at health care, 
you look at preschool education, every aspect of our economy is now dominated by handfuls of corporations. And then we have the old globalisation chestnut, you know. What you do is you find the lowest wage country where they've got no trade unions, no protection, you send your stuff offshore, have it manufactured offshore for a fraction of the cost and bring it back and make a a handy profit. So obviously, during the last 40 years, we have seen two things occur, two very important things. And the first one is growing inequality. Growing inequality in this country, in the land of milk and honey. And the second thing we've seen is the domination of the parliamentary agenda by that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. Obviously, now that the Liberal National Coalition is out of power and federal level, we will see reforms come into play. Reforms like the removal of the Australian Building Commission, which had extraordinary powers and where unequal laws were applied to people in the construction industry compared to the rest of the society. Now, obviously, we're supposed to be all equal under the law in this society. Obviously, we're not. If you haven't got the money to access the law, well, you've got a problem. But we're supposed to be equal before the law. But when you have laws, as we saw with the intervention on Aboriginal communities, you know, almost two decades ago, and as we saw with the building construction CFMEU, you can actually see that the reforms are possible. Then there'll be reforms regarding refugees, asylum seekers. I'm sure there'll be all these reforms which will eventually be pushed through Parliament and there'll be reforms regarding, you know, coal industry, green capitalism, the list goes on and on. But ultimately, when we look at the parliamentary agenda at the state and federal level, especially the federal level, we are not seeing legislation placed before Parliament which addresses issues of basic human need like health care, food security, education, recreation, and the list goes on and on. There are no major reforms because these major reforms cost. And when you have a taxation system which rewards those with the most, then there is never any resources available to deal with the basic human needs of people in this country. And that's the stumbling block. That's the huge stumbling block before us as a people. That unless we are willing to be involved in campaigns and activities and parliamentary action and whatever it takes in order to change that deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation agenda, 
which has is so dominant in our society our ability to satisfy basic human needs although we live in a resource-rich country with an educated population will never occur. Listen to the Atticus World this week broadcast across Australia by, by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Descartes. I'm hosting today's program. Look, uh, if you're interested, you can go to Facebook pages, Joseph Descartes, Descartes for the Public, web pages, anarchismedia.org, PIB, public interest before corporate interest.net, PIBCI.net, YouTube, public interest before corporate interest. The list goes on and on and on. It's not actually about accessing things. The struggle is really about doing things in order to create change. Now, a lot of people say to me, well, Joe, you've been around a long time. And I agree. And I say, why aren't you jaded? You know, why haven't you thrown your hat in the ring and just walked away? And I know many people who've walked away saying it's all too hard. See, but the key is, the key is that we need to remember that we are the people we've been waiting for. If you're waiting for your parliamentarian, your local religious guru or minister or whatever, you know, your, your friends down the road, your trade union to do something, it's not going to happen because we are the people we've been waiting for. Change comes, is initiated by us. In the last 55 years I've been an activist, what I've noticed is all change has come from ideas which have been planted, which have grown, which have created extraordinary pressure on the private investment for private profit model. And that's where the change comes. And that pressure is now insignificant, if non-existent. So think about it. Let's move on. Now, we currently have a health fiasco or a health issues around the country. And this is not just a COVID-19-induced health crisis, although the COVID-19 pandemic has actually highlighted the deficiencies in the public health sector. Now, it doesn't matter whether you've got private health insurance or not. The fact is that if you really get really, really sick, you end up in the public sector. Because the private health sector is about cherry-picking the easy cases, the elective surgery, the easy cases, because they're there to make a buck. Irrespective of whether they're for profit or not for profit, they're there to make a buck. That's what the private health sector is about. And if you are really sick, you will find yourself in the public health sector. Now, currently the public health sector has been overwhelmed. Overwhelmed not just because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but because of an ageing population with multiple health issues. And many of these health issues are related to lifestyle, um, and the key is not choices, but lifestyle situations we find ourselves in because of the type of society we have, where you've got gambling, you've got drugs, legal and illegal, You've got uh, increasing rates of despair and alienation and anxiety because of the insecure type of society we find ourselves in. Where we have the health system being forced to deal 
with the consequences of the structures that are currently in place. For example, as far as the fast food industry is concerned, which again is dominated by a number of large corporations and their uh, little people who peddle away on behalf of some platform which takes most of the money, both from the uh, providers and the peddlers. So we've got this health fiasco which to a significant degree has been created with the type of society we have created. Now obviously we need to address this today. Obviously we can't have these major changes occurring overnight in terms of people's lifestyle situations. So we need more resources pumped into the public health sector. But we don't see resources pumped into the health sector for one very simple reason. Because of how the cake is sliced. I mean, the biggest thing we're creating currently in this country is millionaires and billionaires. So at the end of the day, because of this country's taxation systems, because of the fact that the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication and the 8% that are investors in this country dominate the legislative agenda as far as the private investment of a private profit model is concerned, we can't get rid of even simple things like franking credits where people who own shares get money from the government for owning shares and negative gear where people who own more than one property actually get a tax deduction for owning more than one property. And the list goes on and on and on and on and all the corporate welfare. So while that continues, obviously there's no money for health. Obviously state governments and, and the federal government, which are both responsible for the health system, are continue to pedal backwards. And obviously people involved in the health sector have had enough and walk away because there's just so much you can take. I mean, I've been involved in the health sector in the public and private level now for, what, 47 years? 47 years? And all I've seen is a growth in bureaucracy. It's just just horrendous, the situation. I mean, I'm, I'm not at liberty to describe certain situations I found myself in because some of these will, be, uh, will end up in court cases, I know. But the thing is that the system is failing us. And it's not failing us because of the people in the system. It's not failing us because there aren't enough people in the system, although we've tended, as far as the healthcare system is concerned, to bring fully trained people from overseas to this country, refusing to, you know, teach people here, because it's cheaper to bring somebody who's fully qualified from overseas than actually train somebody in this country. So it's not about blaming individuals, but it is about blaming each and every one of us for allowing this fiasco to continue. Because ultimately, we're responsible. Because the pressure that we can place on those who exercise power, both in the parliamentary se sector and in the extra-parliamentary sector, in the boardrooms of national and transnational corporations, it's us who are responsible for the situation. Because we think democracy, 
rule of the people, by the people, for the people is something, you know, that you do every three to four years when you cast a ballot. We think that you don't need to do anything in between except complain. As I keep saying, I know a lot of people are unhappy about this and I don't care. Most Australians these days are carping, complaining consumers. We don't see ourselves as citizens with a stake in this country's future, with a stake in how this country should move forward. We just see ourselves as, you know, consumers, and that's what they want us to believe. I mean, a lot of the legislation, if you interact for government department, you're just a fucking customer. You're a customer. You're not a citizen or a permanent resident with rights. You're a customer. Extraordinary. Just an extraordinary situation we find ourselves in. And we've allowed this to occur. Bread and circuses. Well, we don't have the bread, but we have the circuses. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, there are some funny things in the world. Obviously, there's horrible, a lot of horrible things, but there are some funny things. And I'm a little bit amused by the current controversy in the golfing world. Now, I don't think I've spoken about golf on the Anarchist World this week for the last four decades. I may have, but I've forgotten. Now, there's a an infamous... Australian golfer. I think his name's Norman. Peter Norman, I think. I forgot. No, not Peter Norman. I've forgotten his name. Norman. You know, he was a famous golfer in the 90s and he used to, you know, make lots of money. He lives in the USA, uh, like like Mr Murdoch these days. That's where they all live. And uh, he's formed a nice association with the Saudi feudal princes. I'm not going to use the word royal. There's nothing royal about that, those scumbags. But the Saudi princess, who've got a problem. They've got a lot of money salted away from their monopoly on oil. But as the world moves from a fossil fuel economy to a green energy economy based on, you know, capitalism... They've got a problem. They need to de- divest themselves or expand their uh, uh, the way of uh, making money. Now, they were going to go big on tourism, but who wants to go to Saudi Arabia? Unless you're a Muslim and you want to, you know, do the Hajj. I mean, why would you go to Saudi Arabia for your holiday? If you are just in the Middle East, maybe you should go to Oman, a bit more interesting than Saudi Arabia. So they're looking for ways to invest their uh, extraordinary amount of money they've made over the uh, decades, courtesy of the support of the US of A and the State of Israel. So golf is the way forward. See, there's this golfing association. Now, there's a lot of money in golf, Prize money's pretty good, and there's been a lot of good Australian golfers, both women and men, who've making a buck on the golf circuit. But now we have a rival circuit, which has been headed by Mr Norman. Poor old Mr Smith, who recently won a big golfing tournament, I forgot, somewhere in the England, you know, in Australia, finds himself in the middle of this battleground where all these 
ace, in inverted commas, golfers are getting tens of millions of dollars to form a different association. Now, you know a good way that you can deal with the problem? It's very simple. Most of their money comes from television, not from people turning up on the golf course. Whether it's pay TV or free-to-air TV, that's where the money in sport is. Advertising, whether it's AFL, whether it's rugby league, whether it's basketball, it's eyeballs on the sport. Well, I've never found golf interesting or attractive, but I'm sure there are people out there who find it fascinating. Why don't you stop watching the garbage? Hmm? Just stop watching it. And sooner or later, I'll get the hint. Otherwise, all we're going to see is the development of uh, gladiatorial contests which are manipulated and owned by private organisations like rugby league in this country. Everybody thinks it's a great sport. Well, it may be a great sport, but most of the rugby league uh, franchises, and their franchises are owned by corporations and private individuals, half of them by the Murdoch Empire. That's why they use their media outlet to promote it. At least in the AFL, I think of the 19 clubs, only one, that's North Melbourne, is privately owned. It finds itself almost at the bottom of the uh, pecking order this year. So, I mean, clubs should be owned by their members, not by private organisations and corporations, but almost every aspect of sport in this country is now corporatised. Basketball, soccer, rugby league... The list goes on and on. So, funny little battle in the um, golfing world. Let's hope the feudal princes lose a few hundred million, especially if they're actually able to set up a rival league. And if they do set up a rival league, if you've got any principles, any principles, I mean... The Saudi royal, oh, sorry, the Saudi feudal princes, he almost used the royal word, you know, make the Taliban look like kindergarten players in terms of what they do in that country. Recently they publicly executed, I think, 92 people, most of them political dissidents, and the list goes on and on. I mean, the Myanmar dictatorship executes four protesters and the world is up in arms, the Saudi feudal princes execute 90, over 90 people in one day, chop their heads off in public squares, and the President of the United States rewards them with a visit. That's the way it goes. So if they do get a rival league off the ground, I encourage you to turn off the television set. Turn off your video. Turn off the social media. That's what gives them oxygen. This is the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Just like to remind you that the West Papuan struggle continues. There are 220,000 Indonesian troops in West Papua. That is one Indonesian troop for every adult West Papuan male in the country. 
Think about it. How would you feel if you were living in Australia and there were, let's say, 10 million Japanese troops here? Or Indonesian troops? You wouldn't feel very nice or safe, would you? So the West Papuan struggle continues. The West Papuan office continues to operate in Docklands. This is its eighth year. As convener of the West Papuan Rent Collective, I keep asking people to join the Rent Collective to keep the keep the uh, West Papuan struggle continuing. Our next gathering will be on September the 11th. That's Sunday, the September the 11th, at the West Papuan office, 838 Collins Street in Docklands. You just walk around to the back. Join us. Enjoy the afternoon. We've got uh, special speakers. Uh, there'll be an auction of uh, various uh, donations which have been given to the West Papuan office. And uh, it should be a great afternoon. But more importantly, it's about raising money to keep the office going. It's not just an office for Melbourne. It's not just an office for Australia. It's an office which coordinates, coordinates activities for the resistance and the independence struggle. It joins West Papa with the rest of the world. It's a fundamental pivot in that struggle. And we in Melbourne, we have the honour that's right, it is an honour to actually keep that office going. And you'll notice that when I look at the people in the Rent Collective, and usually need about 70 to 80 people to keep the Rent Collective going, it's $30 a month, a dollar a day, one-fifth of a cup of coffee a day. I look at them and it's people on old age pensions, people on disability support pensions, people on low wages. I don't see the Twiggy Forests and the Gina Reinharts of the world donating anything. I don't see any of the political parties donating anything. I don't actually see... You know, it's just ordinary ordinary folk who keep that office afloat, who keep that struggle going in this country and overseas. And, uh, you know, people talk about atrocities in Burma or uh, Myanmar. There are atrocities in Myanmar on a daily basis. People talk about the atrocities that the Russians are committing in the Ukraine. People talk about... They don't talk about the atrocities in Yemen where the uh, uh, Saudi feudal princes with their assistance from the United States and Israeli backers are involved in a proxy war in Yemen which has caused the deaths of tens of thousands of people over the last three to four years. And more importantly, we don't hear about the struggle in West Papua, the independent struggle that has been going on for over 60 years where... There is one, there's over 200,000 Indonesian troops, which I think is about a fifth of the Indonesian armed forces or even, a, I think, a quarter, based in this small, this small place. It's just extraordinary. Extraordinary. We don't hear about it. It's not discussion. People get killed every day. People get disappear. People are summarily executed. People are jailed for raising a flag. It was Papua Independence flag. It's not an issue, is it, in Australia? It doesn't really matter, does it? It's only 67 kilometres off our um, shores, but uh, we're happy to, you know, assist the Ukrainians in their war against the Russians. But when it comes to West Papua, we don't even mention them.
Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. All right, let's move on. A little, a little plot or a little plan. Now, last week I spoke about Don Quixote and windmills and, you know, sails in tatters and all that stuff. Now, look, if you think there's a revolution around the corner in Australia, there's no revolution around the corner, all right? It's not there. It's not going to happen. So when you look at the struggle to introduce anarchist principles, that's access to power and wealth, you need to be able to use every legal means available to you. And parliamentary elections at the local, state and federal level provide a mechanism via which to create some type of discussion regarding a change in policy direction. Now, the Victorian Parliament will have been state elections at the end of the year. Sorry, at the end of November. And obviously, the uh, people are gearing up for these elections. Now, there are people who think the elections are a waste of time, and there are people who think they're not. And in terms of the type of policies that are introduced and how it helps or hinders people, obviously there are differences between political parties. Now, the Victorian Labor Party, under the leadership of Mr Daniel Andrews, who is a professional politician, who really hasn't had a job apart from being the member for Mulgrave and Premier now for over 25 years, not Premier but member for Mulgrave, the thing is, We've got these professionals who have embarked on this course of construction for construction's sake. And what we have is all these multinational corporations and locally based corporations in the construction industry who are making hay. And if you look at many of the so-called developments and obviously if you travel anywhere in Victoria, especially Melbourne, you'll be confronted with construction. You'll find it's what I call gold-plated construction. What that means is that resources have been poured in construction projects which maximise profits of the corporate people who, you know, the corporations which... Uh, own these particular companies who've landed these beautiful public contracts. Now, we're told it's all about employment, but obviously it's not a, not totally about employment. Ultimately, it's about profitability. At the same time, we have seen the government at the state level, and state governments do have power, and if you don't think they have power, just look at what happened during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic when there was no vaccination available, the type of powers that they were able to exercise legally, constitutionally. We seem to have forgotten about basic human needs. Things like food security. You know, when you're stepping over homeless people in the city and you see all these private charities which have been set up to provide food security for Victorians 
and the fact that, you know, one in ten Victorians goes to bed hungry, you think to yourself, where am I living? Where are the policies regarding food security? Then we look at the housing sector, the escalating prices in the housing sector because there's no competition between the public and private sector. You think to yourself, where is the push for public housing? You know, I mean, for years we've been involved in protests and other people have been involved in protests in public housing. We just shut it aside. In the last state election, we put enough pressure to force the uh, Andrews-led government to promise to build 1,000 public housing. Never did. It all goes to the private sector, to the community, social, affordable housing sector, which are privately owned. I'm sure there's nice people in those organisations, privately owned, private profit, same thing. Public health, we spoke about that before. Public health is a state and a federal responsibility. You know, if you ring up Triple O in an emergency, and obviously most people ring up Triple O, it's not a life emergency, but but sometimes it is, maybe one in ten calls. And you've got to wait a minute, a minute and a half, to be connected to somebody answering the phone. It's an issue, isn't it? Or if you've got ambulances stuck outside public hospitals for hours and hours and hours because there's no beds in the accident emergency department, it's an issue. Then you've got things like education. Now, obviously... Obviously, with which fees at around, you know, forty thousand dollars a year. Well, I think is it a term in some of these private schools. There never seems to be any money or resources for public education. And then you've got the con- concept of recreation. You know, everybody deserves a holiday, but do people get a holiday in this country? Well, many never do and never will. So, what's the Toscana for Mulgrave campaign? Now, we were hoping to have public interest before corporate interest registered as a state-based political party in Victoria, but unfortunately, we've run out of time. We haven't got the numbers. So the idea of this campaign is to raise policies, important policies regarding food security, public housing, public health, public education and recreation. So what do, what do we suggest? And these are policies. Food security. Every adult on a social security benefit in Victoria, and that's over 33% of people in Victoria, receives a, a $150 food voucher per month. And each dependent child receives a $75 food voucher per month. But it's to be spent not in the corporate sector, but to be spent in state-registered micro and small food businesses, restaurants, takeaway, bakeries, butchers, grocery stores. Cut out the corporations out of it. This is a policy which assists people with food security and assists the small business sector. Public housing should become a priority in Victoria. $8 billion will be raised in sales tax on housing. Half of that, at least, should be used for public housing every year. You could house 100,000 Victorians in public housing every year. 
within a decade you could house 20% of the population in public housing. And public housing shouldn't just be for people in dire emergencies. It should be available to anybody who cannot raise the cash to enter the private housing market. And if you increase the public housing sector, is competition with the private housing sector, rents decrease, prices decrease the loan into the market, security increases for everybody, so it's a win-win situation. Now, I could go on and on and on, but I'm not. I will next week. So, what are we going to do? Now, if we're going to do a proper campaign in the electorate of Mulgrave, which is Mr Daniel's, Andrew's campaign, a campaign which is based on policy, not about rumours and innuendos and conspiracy theories and all that garbage, but a real campaign, we need financial support, we need people to nominate us from the electorate of Mulgrave, and we need people to be involved in a three-month campaign, September, October, November. Now, whether we go ahead with this campaign or not ultimately depends on you. And in the month of August, on Tuesday, the 2nd, the 9th and 16th of August, from 7 to p.m. to 8 p.m., we'll be having meetings outside of the Springvale Railway Station, which is in the electorate of Mulgrave. And on Wednesday, the 3rd, the 10th and 17th of August, Midday to 2 p.m. we'll be having these meetings. So, if you go to the website, public, if you go to the website, uh, if you go to the Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, for the public, all that material will be there. So, join us next Tuesday if you live in Melbourne, uh, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m., Springvale Railway Station, South Side. And if you can't make the uh, second, 3rd of August, midday to 2pm. So hopefully we'll be able to get the enthusiasm and financial resources and the people to conduct a campaign in the electorate of Mulgrave. If there's no interest, there will be no campaign. It's very simple. We'll just let the state election roll on as it normally does and we'll see the usual dunderheads battle each other to represent the people of Victoria. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can leave messages if you wish to join the campaign, 0439 395 489, 0439. 395489. You can email us at info at pipsy.net or info at at com. You can write to us, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. And you can go to the YouTube channel, uh, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. So there's a lot of things you can do. You can always join Pipsy online. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, next week on your local community radio station destruction sorcerer of death construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else anarchist world this week australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse 10 a.m every wednesday listen to the anarchist world this week for an up-to-date analysis of local national and international events You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.